Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody this morning. Uh, this morning is a special morning for us. Uh, as you can see on the screen behind me here, the word go is prominently displayed. And when we speak about going, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a, a, a moment, we're talking about the fact that we as a church are a church sent on mission. And so this morning is a, a special Sunday that we've set aside to focus on missions. And uh, two of our missionaries in particular that will be sharing with us in just a moment. But if you would take your Bibles and uh, open with me to Acts chapter 13. We're in Acts chapter 13 this morning. and We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 of Acts chapter 13. This is what it states in that passage. Acts 13, 1 through 12, we read this. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to gather together this morning to look at your word, to worship you in singing, and to just glorify your name in what you allow us to do. Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to start off our week like this, to be able to carve out time together to worship you and to, to read what your word states and to grow in our walk with you as a result. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our minds and speak to our hearts now as we look at this portion of your word and as we talk about what it looks like to apply these truths to our day-to-day -day lives. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to bring up something here on the screen to show you kind of the essence of what we're talking about today as we look at this portion of Scripture, because we're going to be talking about this idea of developing the heart of a missionary. So what does it look like to develop the heart of a missionary? What does it look like to have the heart of a missionary? Uh, mission work is not just something that is for a select 
reserve class of Christians. I think sometimes, uh, you know, when I when I interact with some people and hear their opinions and their thoughts and their, their ideas about mission work, sometimes I get the impression that they think it's just for a reserve class of Christians. I even heard one person describe uh, missionary work as basically if you're, you know, if you're a regular Christian, you go to church. If you're, uh, you know, like a, a step beyond that, you pastor a church. But if you're a super Christian, you become a missionary. So, you know, so to our missionary guest today, what do you think about that classification? I once heard someone describe you as super Christians, right? And so some people have this idea in mind that if you are a missionary, if you have the heart of a missionary, that must make you one of the super Christians. But when you look at what Scripture tells us about the Lord's desire for us, the Lord's will for us, He's called us to be missionaries. Every single one of us gathered together here, we're all called to be missionaries. We're called to represent Christ, and we're called to, to speak of Him wherever He sends us. So wherever He sends you, whatever open door He gives you, we're called to speak of Him and represent Him. As a church, if you've noticed uh, just on our website or printed material, if you've gone through our membership class, we talk about the four G's that we focus on here at Core Creek, and they're gather, grow, give, and go. So when we talk about gathering, we're talking about what we do right now, where we intentionally gather together for worship, and we make this a priority. And then when we talk about growing, we talk about the idea of following that up with face-to-face fellowship, face-to-face study of the Word of God, face-to-face interaction. And then when we talk about this idea of giving, we're we're saying, all right, I want to use my time and my talents and my treasures to glorify Christ, and I'm going to give those things for the Lord's glory. And then the go piece of our mission is the idea of living as men and women who have been sent out wherever the Lord gives us an open door to represent Him. We are ambassadors of Christ wherever that door opens. So we gather, we grow, we give, and we go. Now, I just read from Acts chapter 13, and we looked at the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 13, and I want to point out a couple things here, really more than just a couple. I want to point out actually eight things in this portion of Scripture that I think are worth noticing as we talk about this idea of developing the heart of a missionary, because there are some practices and some traits that are highlighted here that Paul and Barnabas uh, were exhibiting and the church was exhibiting as Paul and Barnabas were being commissioned and sent out as missionaries. And I'll go through these relatively quickly because we have a follow-up to this that we want to do in just a moment. But notice a few of these things that, that are brought out in this portion of Scripture and, uh, and notice this with a mission mindset here. So in verse 2, one of the things that we notice about the early church as they're gathered together, the Holy Spirit spoke to these individuals. And he spoke to them while they were worshiping and fasting. So you have the early church worshiping the Lord and then setting time aside from all their normal distractions or even the distraction of of the comforts of eating. And they just took a pause so that they could listen more clearly and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And he told them something specific. He told the, the early believers in the church at Antioch here, He told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul. Now, this is Paul, but initially he was called Saul. That was his given name, and later he's referred to as Paul. But the Holy Spirit told them to set apart Barnabas and Saul 
for the work that he was calling them to. Now, think about your, your day-to-day life and think about the Lord's mission for you. Do you have a sense of the Lord's calling in your life? Is that something that you've ever wrestled with and prayed about and actually asked the Lord to make abundantly clear to you? Well, I, could tell you, I can't tell you every aspect about your calling. can't tell you every last detail, but I do know one of the things that the Lord has called you and me to do is to be His ambassadors in this world. And here you have Barnabas and Saul. The Holy Spirit is, is saying, all right, set these men apart for the work that I'm calling them to do. And the church's response to this was to obey. So they obeyed. And it tells us here that they laid hands on them to commission them and sent them off. So typically in that context, if you laid hands on somebody, what you were saying is uh, we endorse this person. We lay hands on them. We commission them. We're saying that, uh, that we authorize them in our name and in the name of Christ in this context to go out and represent Christ. So they lay hands on them, they commission them, and they send them out to do what the Holy Spirit had instructed. So they, they listen to the counsel of the Holy Spirit. They obey the Holy Spirit. By the way, as men and women who are growing in our faith in Christ, should that not be a characteristic of our day-to-day walk with the Lord? That when he says something, our response is yes. Even if it's a hard thing, even if it's a stretching thing. I mean, could you imagine uprooting what you were familiar with because the Holy Spirit said to do so? Hopefully you could, right? But isn't that a, a spot of spiritual maturity that we would admit probably took many of us a while to get to that spot? I can't say that I was always at a spot in my life where I would say, Yes, immediately. That was something that the Lord over time would develop within me. And even still, I have to admit, there are plenty of moments in my life where I would say, I I think I still struggle to say yes immediately. And when you look at this portion of Scripture here, the church says yes immediately. They're obedient. They commission these men and they send them out. And so you have Barnabas and Saul. They begin traveling. It also tells us that they had John with him. Now, this is Mark. John Mark. This is the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark. His his other name was John. They have John with them, and they begin making the Gospel known in various places. And we're told in verses 4 and 5 that one of the places that they would go to first, and this tended to be a pattern for the Apostle Paul in his ministry, is when he would go into a new area, Paul, who had grown up a Jewish man, a devout Jew, he would go to the synagogues first. And he would proclaim the Gospel in the context of of the synagogue, and he would help people come to know Christ in the midst of that context, or he would be rejected after proclaiming the message of the gospel. But regardless, he would go to the synagogues typically first when he would go into a city and see what the response there would be. And so they begin, they go, and they make the gospel known in the synagogues, and then we're also told that they make the gospel known in a context where you have at least one false prophet, but you also have people of prominence. When you look at verses 6 and 7, it says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the Word of God. So they begin making the gospel known to basically anyone that will listen, but in their hearing, you now have a false prophet who is hearing this, the message of the gospel, and you have at least one, if not several, people of prominence who are hearing the gospel. And I want you to notice this, because I don't know um, what your impression 
of being obedient to the Lord happens to be. Uh, but I can tell you that there are times in my life that I have thought mistakenly that being obedient to the Lord meant that after I was obedient that things would go easy and that everything would go smooth and that everything would go in a very predictable way. And I'm going to be asking uh, Brian and Trish Fink a question in just a moment when they come up here and join me related to this kind of perspective. But one of the things that shocked me when I became um, a pastor and when I started engaging in, in full-time Christian service, I was shocked at the opposition that I experienced. And then you look at a portion of Scripture like this, and I think, why did that surprise me so much? Because what happened to the Apostle Paul? What happened to Barnabas? We're told here in verse 8 that they were opposed. It says, but Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So they had opposition from a person of influence in that context. They're trying to proclaim the gospel. They're trying to help people come to know Christ, and they're being opposed. And I want to point that out to us, because if you seek to be obedient to the Lord in whatever mission field he puts you in, whether it's your workplace or your family or your neighborhood or wherever you represent him, don't be overly shocked and don't be overly discouraged if from time to time you experience opposition. That has been the pattern. Do you think that Satan is going to just you know, make it easy for God's people to ultimately proclaim the gospel in a world that Satan loves to keep blinded as much as he can? You know, We're stepping onto a spiritual turf war uh, when we're in the midst of these things. And here, Paul and Barnabas and those that honored the Lord were experiencing opposition. But I, I love how how Paul responds to this. Because there's a couple ways that you could respond to opposition. You can cower, and you could try and hide from it, and you could try and run from it, and maybe ignore it, and maybe quit, because opposition could be rather discouraging, and sometimes it comes from very powerful sources. Or you can trust the Lord and let the details fall into place however they're going to fall in place. And so here you have the Apostle Paul expressing a divinely empowered boldness as he confronts it. He decides to confront the opposition, not just sit there and, and, and take it, but to confront it with a divinely empowered boldness. Look at verse 9. It says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So when Scripture says filled with the Holy Spirit, the idea here is that he's under the influence, he's under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he, it says he looked intently at him. So I, I imagine, you know, when I look at his, when I think of Paul's face in my mind, when I try and picture what the expression on his face looked like, can't you see his lips pursed and the, just like the fire in his eyes and the intent and probably even, you know, as he's taking his hand and you could just see that he's pointing as he's saying these things. And he looks at this man, he looks at Elamis. And he confronts him, and it says, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked intently at him and said, this will earn you friends, right? He said, you son of the devil. Excuse me? Right? He says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, imagine being there in this moment, right? It says, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And then the scripture tells us immediately Elamus was blinded. 
But this blindness actually served as a powerful testimony to others witnessing this here. And you could see that the Lord was setting this up to demonstrate through a miraculous occurrence here that what Paul was saying wasn't something he had just made up. The Lord was using this to show that Paul had the authority to proclaim this message and that there was authority in the message. And that God was in this. That God was behind this. And so he confronts it and he addresses it and glorifies God in the process. And then when you look at verse 12, it's clear that the Lord stirred the hearts of people that we would say were seemingly unlikely to believe. And they... and. And people come to faith. In verse 12 it says, And the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So I want you to have this story in the back of your mind as we kind of segue our thinking here in just a moment. But the point is, and my purpose in referencing this Scripture for us this morning is this, Every single one of us, if you're a follower of Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, every single one of us is being called And every single one of us is being empowered to step out on faith and to make the gospel known. Every single one of us, not just some select group of people, not just a couple people here and a couple people there that the rest of us observe. We, you and me, are being called and empowered to step out on faith and to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. And in addition to that, So here we are as agents where the Lord has allowed us to serve and to represent Him, His ambassadors in our community. But we also have the privilege to set apart, we could call them special agents. Wouldn't it be entertaining? Where's our missions director, Seth? What would you think if we changed your title to director of special agents? Would you like that? You know, if our missions department became our special agents department? But when you think about it, isn't that what missionaries that we're sending out really are? It's like, we have the privilege to set apart these, these agents that we send out to distant places that help the truth of the gospel spread more rapidly and advance over greater distances than we would say that it would organically do so as we just stay in our local area. So some of us stay local and we represent Christ here. And then as the Lord leads, we send agents out to distant places and we do both. So they say, you know, around the block, And around the world, we represent Christ. We have two of those special agents with us today. My friends, Brian and Trish Fink, who serve in Saskatchewan. So now at this point, I'm going to invite them to come up here on stage and join me. And as they're coming, please welcome them. So let me give you this, and you'll just share it if you don't mind. So please take a seat, and uh, we're doing something, we've never done this before, but I've always wanted to do this, okay? We even bought new chairs to facilitate this, all right? We've only owned these chairs for 12 hours, maybe 13, all right? So we'll see how they work here. All right, so Brian and Trish Fink, let me bring you guys up here on the screen. There they are in their natural habitat uh, in Saskatchewan. Um, but I, I have had the privilege to know Brian and Trish for a long time, and I've had the privilege to know Brian even slightly longer than I've known Trish because, and I, I mention this every time he comes and visit, but I first met Brian when I was about 12 years old at summer camp because he was my camp counselor. And, um, and so he and I have been friends ever since. 
And you don't have to confirm or deny this, but I've always thought I was probably his favorite camper. But you don't have to say anything. I don't want you to embarrass the other campers, all right? (laughs) So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're currently serving the Lord. All right. Well, um, we're currently serving up in Saskatchewan, Canada. Uh, We primarily serve among the Plains Cree people. Uh, up there, and uh, the ministry that we believe God has called us to is one of uh, social and spiritual reconciliation. Okay. Yeah. I love to hunt. Uh, what else? Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's good. All right. So, and to help us get to know you guys better, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your favorite sports teams? Wow. They're g- they're going to be. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you you've got them there. Yeah, you, you, you've actually got even even Cabela's, the, my hunting aspect. Well, I stole that, this you... from your Facebook. So oh, I, really? I oh, okay. It... Wow, that's on Facebook? <laughs> that's on Facebook. Oh, oh, oh you'd be surprised you know. what's on Facebook. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah so uh, I was uh, born in Philly and raised in the area. Matter of fact, the uh, Levittown, or yeah, Trinity, Trinity yeah. Primitive Methodist Church was the church that I was actually raised in. So, yes, I am a Philly diehard sports okay. fan all right that's good uh how about you trish not a sports person at all not i do a, like to hunt you do like to hunt i do yes okay so that's about where it ends all right <laughs> yeah. all right so uh you, you convinced her to, did you hunt before you met him no okay no. but i like to eat so you know and, and you, we have a big family yeah that's right <laughs> so I, one needs must <laughs> so that's good yeah and no, you've got fun. nature's grocery store right outside that's your right. uh it's your beautiful. House. I love to just go and sit out, even if you don't, and don't get anything. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. so sometimes, yes, this last winter I didn't, but okay. I tried hard. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, so now, and I, we'd like to hear from, from each of you on this, but uh, when did you come to know the Lord, and when could you tell that he was calling you to serve in foreign missions? Okay. Well, uh, I was raised in a Christian home, and uh, my mother would lead evening devotions and it was I was five years old and it was at one of those devotions that uh, I remember realizing I was a sinner and I needed Christ in my life and so yeah and then uh, the calling oh boy the calling Um, the calling for for me in particular uh, I actually went to Moody Bible Institute which was my third college. Uh, I kind of found my calling in a roundabout way, but uh, I entered into Christian Education Youth Ministry program there, and the first missions conference, uh, the, uh, I realized that God uh, had been calling me to missions. I had, um, uh, had the blessing and the opportunity to do short-term mission trips in, in my teenage and early 20s, and uh, uh, I just realized at that point that that had been the direction that God had been taking me, but I didn't want to let go of all the things that I felt were important to me. And so, uh, but I realized at that point I should. And um, I thought really that God was going to lead me back to uh, Papua New Guinea, where I had just come back from on a short-term mission trip. Um, but about that time, uh, there was a professor at Moody who sat across from me one day at lunch, and he just said, have you ever thought about working about, with Native Americans? And I said, no. He said, I think you should pray about it. And I didn't. Uh, but about, about, a, about uh, a month later, he said, hey, have you ever been to a powwow? I said, no. 
he says, uh, hey, there's one here in Chicago. I'd love if you went with me. And uh, it was at that powwow that uh, the Lord spoke to me. And uh, I can probably count on three fingers the number of times where I had really sensed the voice of the Lord strongly. And that was one of them. I was at that powwow and I was looking out over the dancers and all of that. And I just felt like the Lord had said to me, Brian, these are the people. You know, I've taken you around the world. I've introduced you to other cultures, but I want you to look in your own backyard. Uh, these are the people I want you to serve. And uh, uh, about that time, I had uh, met Trish and we were dating. And come to find out, her boss had just gotten back from a short-term mission trip uh, with a group called North American Indigenous Ministries, and he had us over at that time to look at slides. I don't want to date myself, but hey, uh, to look at slides from his summer. And uh, yeah, that's how we ended up getting uh, connected with me. Nice. So. And um, I was born and raised in a Christian home, and I came to know the Lord at a young age as well uh, during was actually during a Sunday night service, and I believe our church was doing a play called I Dreamed I Searched Heaven for You or something. It was I remember being kind of scary as a child okay. anyway. <laughs> so uh, after church that night, um, I asked my parents, like, how can I know that I'm a Christian? <laughs> how can I make sure I go to heaven? And I was really young at the time. I was about five years old. And uh, yeah, my parents prayed with me, and I accepted the Lord at that time. Now, that being said... As I grew and came to understand more of who the Lord is and his love for me, I rededicated my life um, later on as a teenager. But um, I went to take one year of Bible school uh, after high school and just thought, okay, well, Moody's a tuition-free college, so I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I went to, went to Moody, thought, for just one year. And... Um, the one year was, was a really powerful year, so I enrolled in the second year, and during the second missions conference, really felt like God spoke to me about um, not necessarily being called directly to missions, but I remember having this distinct impression that, hey, you know what, you really haven't said yes to me in that area. Why haven't you said yes to me? And I thought, well, because maybe I don't want to, <laughs> and maybe that's scary. And But as the week went on and I heard different speakers speak, I just... Um, came to realize that I needed to at least leave that area of my life open to God's leading, if that's what he wanted me to do. And about that time, um, we started dating, and I found out he was leading him into missions and started just saying yes to different opportunities that came along the way. And I was working for the correspondence school at Moody, and he needed a, a short-term mission experience as part of his requirements for graduation. So after we got married, we thought, oh, well, we know about name. We sort of think First Nations ministry sounds kind of cool. So we went for the summer, and that was the summer that we really came to realize, yeah, God, this is where God wants us to be. Excellent. So, so how exactly did you guys meet? We were freshmen together, freshman orientation. Let me uh, just uh, bring that <laughs> I, they're probably not happy about that. We did not that, know what but, he was putting up there. But can, <laughs> this can, is scary. Can you please notice Brian's perfectly coiffed <laughs> mullet? That's a good mullet, isn't it? You know, like from back in that day, I, I look at that and I think that's how we all had our hair back then. But you pulled that off well. It's perfectly feathered. And, you pulled it uh, off eventually. I like <laughs> really it. Why did it you not keep it? You didn't. You didn't keep it. Okay. It just started sliding. It just started sliding. You're like, all right, no. Yeah. All right. 
So this would be right around that time, right? Yeah, that's our engagement picture, yeah. What is that? That's our engagement photo. That's your engagement photo. All right, cool. All right, so Mm -hmm. how did you meet? We were freshmen together, freshman orientation. We hung around in the same groups of friends. I dated his friend. He dated my friend. Eventually, we like, I like your friend better than the person. (laughs) Okay. And we were close, but we weren't quite there. Yeah. Yeah, No. So we got to be good friends first. And and, uh, and what kind of sealed the deal? What made it so that you guys were like, all right, this is obviously, you know, we need to be together serving the Lord together. Sealed the deal. Yeah. What, like, like, tell us. I was going to say, I think what. For me, what sealed the deal, like, she actually was up in uh, Alaska, uh, and uh, her, uh, <laughs> no, <I don't laughs> do you have those pictures? Anyway, one night we were sitting with, as, with a group of friends, and we were showing pictures to one another uh, of our childhoods, and uh, I saw these, her holding up these big old salmon, and her dad holding a big old halibut, and all that, and I thought, wow, man. <laughs> That's the woman for me. That's so, uh, for me, nice. I sealed the deal. That was That's like, right. <laughs> yeah. So it takes like the, the, the phrase like, hey, you know, there's, there's bigger fish in the sea type of thing. You're like, no, I found the exact, exact right fish. Right. That's right. This is it. Right. Okay. Or, or fish or woman. Yeah. You know. um, all right. So now you're early in your marriage. You're early in your ministry serving with name, Right. And you're in Saskatchewan now, mm-hmm. right? So all that stuff's taking place and you're, you know, you're serving where you serve now, right? I mean, you've always mm-hmm. served right yep. there, right from the start. Yep. So um, what would you say, if you take yourself back to that season, what would you say the most challenging aspects that you experienced in, you know, in that mission work right at the start happened to be? What, what were the hardest parts about getting started mm-hmm. in that early season? Well, I think getting getting started. I think you got to look at the overall um, history of Christianity with First Nations people, and uh, uh, you know, I tell people when we lived in Chicago, I worked with gang kids in Chicago, and I thought, boy, you know, if I can work with these gang kids, I can work with anybody. And when I got to Saskatchewan, I realized real quick, because we were actually led up there to originally to work with youth primarily. And when we first got up there, uh, I realized real quick that wasn't the case. And there was a big difference culturally. Um, In the projects in Chicago, grandma tells you, you mind the preacher, man, and they listen. Um, When I got to Saskatchewan, it was like the grandma said, the preacher man's the cause of all of our problems. And so building the trust and reestablishing trust uh, when you've got a, you know, 100 years of really bad, oppressive history, abusive history, uh, cultural genocide, um, you know, uh, yeah, the history of Christianity among Native Americans uh, in both uh, the U.S. and Canada is very bad, and Canada is extremely bad. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so that that would be the biggest the biggest right. challenges, the biggest hurdles that we we were facing. Yeah. Um, so now the other the other side of that, the question would be this: What sort of open doors did the did the Lord give you early on that helped yeah. confirm your calling to this group okay. of people? Yeah. For us, uh, the first. Within the first year we were there, 
we connected with uh, a, a family. Uh, the Lord obviously led us <laughs> to that connection. Uh, and there was an, uh, an elder there. His name was uh, Charlie Big Knife. Um, helped him out a few times. Uh, again, I love telling the story. One of the first times I really, really got to see Charlie in his element. I mean, he's 80-some years old. At this time, when we first got there, he's 80-some years old. He calls me and asks, Brian, can you, can you pull my horse trailer with your, with your truck? I got some, uh, some cows out. So I, I said, sure. So here's, here's Charlie at 80 years old. I, I, I take him uh, like 20 miles north of the reserve, and we discover his 20-some head of cattle that he's got out. And I watch him single-handedly round up these 20 head of cattle and drive them 20 miles cross-country by himself <laughs> back home. So that was Charlie. And I, I remember thinking, whoa, this guy's the real deal, you know. But uh, Charlie, we were at, a, uh, at an, uh, another part of his extended family um, at a cattle branding. And afterwards, there was a big barbecue. And Charlie got up and stood up, as he always did, um, to address the extended family and everything. And uh, the Lord led him to just say to the, say to the family, you know, uh, uh, I want you guys to listen to Brian and Trish. Uh, Brian and Trish are, are bringing to you the same Jesus that I've been telling you guys about. We're older now. We're not going to be around very much long. I'm not going to be very around very much longer. So I, I want you guys to listen to them, accept them. They're one of us. And then shortly after that, his one daughter started to refer to me as uh, her son. And um, I didn't think, it didn't really connect because I was really good friends with her, one of her biological sons. And, uh, you know, growing up around here, if you have a really good friend, you kind of referred to their mom as mom. At least I did when I was growing up. So I really didn't, I really didn't connect to the significance and the importance of that uh, right at first. And uh, this might be going in a little farther than what you want me to go. But no, go for it took about 10 years for me to really understand the significance of that and the way the Lord brought that. Because I'm thick. I don't, I, don't, I don't catch things right away. Slow. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, not, not as quick here. But, but I... Uh, uh, was out of in Vancouver at a big gathering, and there was only a few of us uh, pale faces there. And uh, uh, but it was all there was as they began the meeting. They began with pro protocol, and the way the protocol goes is you you talk about um, who, who what your name is, what your given name, your your Indian name, your clan, your tribe. It's like this long formal introduction, and. Uh, they went around the room, and everybody was doing that. <clears throat> and there was one, one white guy there, and he gave the s same kind of introduction. Uh, and he, then he come to find out that he was adopted in the, in the uh, native sense. Uh, and when there was a coffee break, all of the – there was like four or five of us white guys kind of off on our own. And then that white guy, I noticed, was in with all of the, the First Nations people there. And – and I realized, wow, what was so? What's the difference here? The difference is he was adopted into a family, and uh, all of a sudden this light went on. Bling, you know, yeah, Brian, you were adopted in a family, and uh, so yeah, we have seen since we've really embraced that position that the Lord had given us, uh, we have seen amazing, amazing things happen. That's, that's like. Uh... Lydia, you know, the whole concept of the person of peace where Lydia 
makes the Apostle Paul feel welcome in Philippi, endorses him, and it gives him an open mm-hmm. door for ministry. And you see the Lord giving you through uh, Charlie mm-hmm. and his family that yeah. that blessing and that endorsement. Mm-hmm. Um, question for you, Trish. What has it been like? So let me bring up your crew here on the screen. All right. So they have a very small family. Um, Just a couple. <laughs> but what has it been like... Um, raising your children in a culture that's different from what you were raised in? Hmm. Uncomfortable. A lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, especially when you're going into settings that uh, don't feel safe Mm -hmm. and having a lot of little ones running around with a lot of other little ones. And yeah, we learned early on to tell our kids to stick together, stay close. You know, Mm -hmm. that was that was hard for me to relax, you know, Um, and then later on, I mean, God's grace is just so big. We found out some things about some family members just recently, actually. Um, and we've been very close to them early on in our ministry and very relaxed around them. Mm-hmm. And we can just now see, we found out some things that were very unhealthy. And mm-hmm. God was just there. Like, he, his hand of protection was over our kids. There's no other way to put it. But, um, yeah, no, making those friendships really helped. Asking advice of people who were in the culture, like, I didn't expect to have so much culture shock. Going to Canada, you kind of think, oh, they're sort of the same as us. But it's the Canadian culture is very different. The Canadian mindset's very different. The rural as opposed to urban culture is very different. And then the native culture, too. So we had three cultures to adjust to. So yeah, it was a lot point. coming at us at once. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, one day at a time and well, trying to be learners and not like we know it all. <laughs> no, not by any means. No. And, and so look at, you know, look at this family photo here. Um, you have some children here that you guys adopted Mm -hmm. as well. So tell us about your decision to adopt. Well, it didn't start out as a decision to adopt. It um, started out as, you know, when Brian talks about those three times when he really knows God spoke to him, there was one of those times when he spoke to both of us at the same time. And um, our pastor at the time was preaching on the passage of Peter stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. And... um, he tells the story way better than I do, but during that message, the message was nothing about foster care or nothing about adoption or anything like that, but up to that point, I had really protected my home, and, you know, like I talked about some of those really uncomfortable situations, well, my home was, like, the safe zone, right, so you can always retreat and kind of decompress and relax, and um, I'd always been really careful who came into the home and, you know, that sort of stuff. Anyway, if you're a mom, you kind of understand, but, uh, during that message, I just really felt like God was saying, hey, your home is the boat, and I kind of want that too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, I was hearing him say that during the message, and then on the drive home, Brian shared with me that he had felt God saying the same thing to him during that message, and I had a decision to make at that point. Am I going to tell him I heard the same thing? (laughs) Because I knew what that meant. Um, but no, we, we shared it with each other and we knew we had to be obedient and start making some phone calls. So that was the, the point where we started getting involved in foster care. Mm-hmm. Now there is a 10 hour course that you have to take in order to get certified as a foster home. We take in one class and they came up to us and said, Hey, we got a couple of girls that really need a place. <laughs> so we weren't even, we just hadn't even really wrapped our heads around the whole thing. And we already had two sisters put placed with us and. Um, we also didn't expect to have Cree people put into our home because we're white. You know, Mm -hmm. we thought we didn't know what the cross-cultural dynamic was. 
Um, we also didn't expect him to bring kids right from our own community into our home. So we already had some family connections with some of these kids. And um, part of the whole um, experience, I guess you want to say, of being in care, what they really want you to do is work at connecting with the biological families of the kids as well, which is mm -hmm. really uncomfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it's important. Like these kids need to know who they who they came from, where they came from, and keep those cultural and biological connections going. So we've taken that on as one of our family nice. values, and yeah, it's been um, it's been neat. Like there's there's never been a day when we've questioned whether this is what God wants us to do. And then uh, one thing led to another. Kids who um, are working out well in our home and need permanency um, come up for adoption, and it's been our experience where they've given us the first choice of you know what are your intentions with this child and yeah no there's no reason for them to go anywhere else so right. they're yours adoption happened <laughs> yeah, nice. exactly That's no awesome. it was god's grace it really was so they're That's neat cool. people yeah hope you get to meet them today <laughs> yeah um in acts 13 which we just read there there was some obvious spiritual opposition can you think of any like seminal moments where you could sense, oh, there's definite spiritual opposition here to this work? Um, no question. I mean, how many? How many? I mean, anytime, anytime you see God move in a direction, right? Uh, anytime, I believe vision comes from looking around you and saying, okay, where's God moving? Let's get behind that. How do, how do we better interact with that and, and, and get involved? Um, you always see opposition you know you always see um you know just uh you know the devil tries to take your eyes off of what god is trying to do and so yeah there's we've we've always had that we've had um things that we have seen that have been more spiritual encounters like you know uh all the way to just you know the day in day out of uh, struggles that you know um you know the enemy's kind of pulling some strings so yeah well, what advice would you give to any of us who might be going through a season of spiritual discouragement or just discouragement mm -hmm. in general? Yeah. Uh, th the big thing for me is just that aspect of uh, persevering and to know, and <laughs> I, I say this because I come against it all the time, people will say, well, God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Well, no, God will always give you more than you can handle. He will always give you more than you can handle. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. And it's not about our strength, it's about His power. And so, uh, leaning into God during those, those discouraging times, um, you know, and, and they're, they're seasons. They could be long sometimes. Um, and, uh, but to realize that you know, if, you know, if, uh, there are so many times I find myself in positions where I'm like, that's just not me. But then I realize, you know what, then that's probably the direction I need to move in because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's what God wants to do. And it's what God wants to do through me so that Brian doesn't get the credit, but God gets the credit. And so, um, yeah, just uh, tucking in, tucking in closer <laughs> mm -hmm. to God and in, in, in his word and uh, to persevere during those those seasons. Now, uh, some real important questions, all right? First up, so you're going to need to look at the screen for this. 
All right. When you saw the New York Jets' new uniforms, <laughs> did you feel upset that they had stolen them from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? You know what? That is actually the first time I've seen them side by side. Well, look and at you know it. What? what? You that is that is a that is a complete they knockoff. They stole, didn't they? They did. That's they a stole it. That's yeah, right. I thought so. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah, that's, that's all right. That's pretty cheap. All right, another question. You're going to need to look at the okay. screen. All right. What do you do with animals from your neighbors that wander into your yard? You eat them. You no. eat them. All right, your neighbor's animals come into your I showed that picture to my sons, and they're like, how did he get it back? Like, after you shoot a moose, like, how do you get you know, it back? And that one was even more so because there was two of us, and we each had a canoe. We were on the Athabascan River, and he had shot a moose the day before, and we were trying to get his moose out. We had already cut it up and deboned it and had it packed in between our two canoes because we had all of our camping gear. And uh, <laughs> then was what's that? And what's this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that canoe, I didn't, yeah, she just reminded me. That canoe uh, I had just got, it was a used canoe, and... Uh, by the second day on the river, it started taking in water. <laughs> so uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere on the river with a canoe that was quickly not very buoyant. And uh, Two men and a moose. Yeah. <clears throat> so the only thing I had on me, and this is something to keep in the back of your mind if you're ever on the boat, I had shoe goo for, you know, putting patches, you know, on shoes or whatever, and, uh, and gorilla tape. And I was able to patch that canoe, and I'm telling you, there was not a drop of water yeah, in that canoe. From so if you buy a used canoe, buy Gorilla Tape and, and shoe, shoe Glue, and, and you're make, good. Make sure you have them with you. All right. Be good. <laughs> this be good is a very practical discussion. <laughs> exactly. All right, another, another question. Who uh, is the best character on the Saskatchewan sitcom, Corner Gas? It's got to be Brett Butt. All right, so you think Brent is? <laughs> yeah. You, we, Andrea and I think it's Oscar. Wow. All right, we like Oscar. We know too many people like Oscar. <laughs> we know too many people like Oscar, okay. Now, if you've never heard of this sitcom and you have Amazon Prime, you have a job today. Find this sitcom and become culturally aware of life in Saskatchewan. I would not be surprised if it becomes one of your favorite things that you have ever watched. That is one of the funniest shows I've ever watched. All right, this so is true. really, this next question is the dumbest question I'm going to ask you, all right? Okay. Um, you're like, I thought we already hit that. Yeah. We have not. <laughs> all right. On average, no. <laughs> on average, how much time during the week do you spend watching uh, YouTube clips of Stu Hart and his, um, you know, a native of Saskatchewan and his stampede wrestling? I have no idea. Never even heard of it? No. No? So should we just stick with Corner Gas? Yeah, I think so. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Stu Hart. He's native of uh, Brett the Hitman Hart's dad. Oh, really? Yeah, native of Saskatchewan. Oh. Am I teaching you about your own you culture? Are. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, th we'll talk about We're that We're not in the lunch. wrestling culture. All right. <laughs> well... One final question for you guys, and this is something that we're hoping you could advise us as a church, but how, is we, or how can we as a local church be praying for you, encouraging you, and supporting you as you're obedient to the Lord's directive to go? Okay. Yeah, no, our biggest, probably for us, it's always the prayer support. If we've got the prayer support, we've got people praying for us, committed to praying for us, we everything else will fall into place. I mean, 
really it is the prayers of the saints that keep you going. I mean, there's many times where Trish and I will look at each other and we're like, man, I know somebody's praying today. <laughs> you know, we'll see just God moving in, a, in, a, in an amazing way. So, um, yeah, I, I would just say the biggest things for us, the biggest prayer request for us is just uh, that we would be faithful in those opportunities that God gives, you know, kind of eyes open, ears to the, to the rail, so to speak, to see and hear how God is moving and what he, what he desires from us. We always covet prayers for our, our, our family, obviously, um, as they continue to grow and continue to go, because basically we're on our second family, raising our second family. Um, I, we've got a daughter who's getting married this, this, uh, summer and she's looking at the mission field we don't know where they're heading you know so yeah just uh yeah i really really appreciate that aspect the prayers are what is essential is what we covet so perfect i would ask too that as we come against opposition just pray for us that we would respond in a way that glorifies god because my emotions i'm emotional when i come up against yeah (laughs) well you know and sometimes those get in the way so Yeah. yeah just um that we would respond in a way that glorifies him would be a good prayer. Thanks. Cool. Well, this time I'm going to ask our elder, Rich Smith, to come up here and join me. And uh, as a a church family, I'm just going to ask you to stand together with us. And if Brian and Trish, if you could just stand here as well. And Rich and I are going to pray for you guys. So, Rich, would you pray? And then I'll pray as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you. for an opportunity, God, to be part of your work on this planet. We praise you, Lord, for uh, Brian and Trish and the work that they're doing. And uh, I pray, God, that you would bring them to our minds often, that we would lift them up in prayer, that you would uh, grant them your protection and um, extra doses of your love, God. And um, we just praise you for their work, Lord, and uh, we pray that you would um, protect them, protect their family and um, continue to help them to grow that ministry uh, in your name. And Lord, we're, we're grateful for Brian and Trish and for their family and the work that they're doing. And Lord, as they come up against opposition, we pray that you'd give them your wisdom and your strength and your protection. We thank you for every open door that you've been giving them throughout the past few decades as they've been serving uh, in the, the field that you've opened up the door for them to serve. And, and Lord, we're, we're praying that you would just encourage them, that you'd bring them, as Rich said, to our minds regularly that we as a, a church family here in Langhorn can continually keep their needs uh, lifted up before you because they're seeking the strength that, that you supply to them. And, and Lord, you tell us in your word that when we have needs and when we have concerns to submit these things over to you and that you can be entrusted with these needs. So we just commit them to you. We thank you, Lord, for the decades already that you've given them of service and uh, Lord, we're, we're grateful for just the miraculous things that you've allowed them to see your hand accomplish in their midst. And Lord, as they continue to serve you through this next season, we just pray that your hand of blessing and protection would be upon them. Give them your wisdom, continue to open doors, and proclaim the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, in their community in Saskatchewan uh, for your glory through them. And we commit them to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's thank them for being with us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you.